This is a Solitude Media Originals podcast. Hello, I'm joined with Aideen Maloney. Aideen is an actress and a producer who started up the Fallen Angel Theatre Company in 2003 based in New York. She received the Best Actress Award from New Jersey Footlights for her portrayal of George Eliot in A Most Dangerous Woman. Although she has been broadcasting movies and television across Ireland, UK and USA, Aideen's professional acting experience is arguably more centred around the theatrical stage ever since she graduated from the Samuel Beckett Theatre Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Her latest work is entitled Yes, Reflections of Molly Bloom, and she is touring this. It'll be staged in Galway in the Town Hall Theatre on Tuesday the 30th of May at 8pm. It has a rating of 16+. It is a deeply personal work as it is not only a collaboration with Colin McCann, but also the music was provided by her late father, the Chief Chieftain, Paddy Maloney. This is the Galway Podcast. Eating, hello. Hi, Fender, how are you? I'm very good. The sun's shining down here in Galway. And um, yeah, it's, it's it brings out the, the joy in one. It certainly does. It's it's shining up here in Dublin too. And all the roses are blooming. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with this question. How did you get into drama? Oh, gosh, I, I was a little girl, you know, like... Uh, like most many actors, you know, or actresses. I, I'm an actress. I, I still go by actress. I, I, I'm proud of the feminine uh, part of the, the word. Um, so uh, I got into it when I was a child. And um, I, you know, I always had loved play acting and making up stories. And, and I read, uh, whenever I read a book, I, I read aloud. And I've always read aloud ever since I was a, a small child. So, um, uh, you know, and we used to make up little plays for my brother and I, for mommy and, and daddy, when dad came home from touring. And um, so it, it, it just came to me naturally. Uh, I don't know if you do personality um, analysis. I've been looking into this this past couple of years or so, and there tends to be a personality trait which lends itself towards the performance side. Um, I'm thinking about Myers-Briggs. There's definitely the entertainer there, but also there's a thing called Ocean. Have you done any of this to see what it is to your core, whether you, you are in your correct job? I have not. <laughs> Probably not in the correct job. My bank account says I'm not. <laughs> I should have become a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. a liar. Well, <laughs> a lawyer. There's, there's a thing I came across recently as well. It's called Ichigai. I think I'm pronouncing that kind of reasonably all right. It's a, it's a Japanese uh, philosophy, which is there's it's a Venn diagram of four circles. And one circle is you're, you enjoy what you do. Another one is you're good at it. Another one is it makes money. And then the last one is the world needs it. <laughs> so how many of those circles do you think you're hitting? Three, maybe, <laughs> maybe two. Two, definitely. I've, um, well, certainly, as I've already answered, the bank account is not good. I'm not making money. But um, I, I have to say, though, you know, the enjoyment, I'm good at what I do. Uh, that is, that's true. And I've worked very, very hard 
to to over many years to 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 always improve and always to learn because I I don't care how old a person is I don't care how old I am I have a ton to learn yet mm. a ton of living to do and a ton of learning but um when it comes to enjoying I I don't know if if that's the right word for what I do um um I, I mean, I do enjoy it when when I reach a, a certain level of of work, you know, of of where everything, all the hard work is starting to to uh, to to come into place. But um, I find the process um, painful and turbulent and joyous and um, frustrating and uh, annoying and and funny and and all of those emotions it's it's like a roller coaster ride uh and i'm not really sure if i enjoy roller coasters Mm, yeah (laughs) but you know i like it when when you know when i start to feel like oh yeah all that months of hard work and and research and preparation and training and discipline uh when i start to feel that that's all like a jigsaw puzzle slotting into place and and i'm i'm taken off i'm starting i'm going to soar with this i'm confident with this but it's a the process is very painful mm. I don't know if you saw this conversation or this um blog post that Nick Kay wrote online somebody uh and he's got this Red Hand Files website and somebody uh, went to chat GPT and said, uh, write a song in the style of Nick Cave, write lyrics. And it came, spat this thing out and sent it to Cave and he listened to it and he went, this is the antithesis of what art is. You know, art is the hard slug. It's the blood mm-hmm. and the tears and the frustration that one endures to arrive at the destination of the end product. I shouldn't say product, the end piece. Is that similar to what you're feeling? Yes, absolutely. I, I, you know, you know, any, any of my close friends or, uh, you know, I will say, you know, will tell you that I'm like, oh God, no, I'm, I'm really not happy with this. I'm not happy with myself. And, and I don't sleep sometimes because, um, it's, it's, it's complicated and, and it's, it's a process and, uh, and as I said, it's, it can be very painful. Yeah. I mean, very pa- joyous, but also very painful. I mean, it takes years off my life, yeah. <laughs> the way yeah. I work. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get it. Um, maybe we should explain that. I, I first reached out to you. It was October 2021. I was in China at the time, and I had done a few productions out there. And I wanted to tell the story then of the chieftains in China. And, um, well, for whatever reason, it was kind of political that it didn't do that in the end. Uh, well, I want to use a different word. Um, we were stuck in, in China for a number of years and we were missing home. So I decided we would change tactic and let's celebrate the foreign teachers who couldn't get home. So I, I decided to do a performance called Around the World in 80 Minutes. But... The, the <laughs> we did a song for each country for the teachers that where they come from so it was to, to remind the kids that you know these guys haven't been home and also there's more than one country <laughs> because uh, China uh, sometimes loses sight of that at times but whenever I was doing uh, 400 people telling the story of Charlie Chaplin for example and the, using the music of Queen 
I know exactly what you mean. Your whole existence is in that production. You're waking up with the songs in your head in the morning or the lines in your head. And then you, you have, a, you know, you're about to fall asleep and have another idea and you have to you know grab the phone, you send a voice message to yourself. So this probably brings us on to, yes, Reflections of Molly Bloom. Can you talk about the process it does come from Ulysses, and uh, it's a monologue, as far as I'm aware, of of Molly's in Ulysses. Do you want to talk a little bit about about what the production is? Oh, uh, yes, certainly. Um, so I uh, I started. Um, uh, uh, I read Ulysses when I was I first read it when I was ten, <laughs> wow. uh, and I read it by accident. Um, I had run out of books, and you read uh, it all at ten. Know, I read 90% of it. It took some time, yeah. but um, I, I did indeed. And, and I think children are, um, you know, have a, a, a better mind for reading and for art than adults do. And um, and for understanding and not, you know, just letting it be rather than trying to impose our own thoughts or, or uh, understanding of what a piece of art is about or a piece of uh, literature is about. Uh, let the writer or the artist do that for you. And children are very good at, at accepting that and letting something wash through them and and forming their own opinions. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I um, I started reading it. Uh, I had nothing to read and, and uh, found this old book on the on the shelf. <laughs> mm. And um, and of course, as I said to you earlier, I, I read out loud. Mm. So um, and to entertain myself as a child and uh, and and I, I believe Ulysses should be read out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's what Joyce was after. It's like a piece of music. It flows. It has rhythm. It has music. It has intonation. Um, it's like a big old symphony. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you're reading it out loud and trusting the writer, uh, just trusting the writer with the words and how the words should sound on your coming from your mouth and in your body, um, then it's it's absolute perfection. So all of these characters were dancing around me, um, you know, which often happens when you read a book out loud. You, you they come to life, and um, so uh, it was an easy read. And I also loved the idea that he was breaking so many rules of grammar uh, at that time. You know, I was uh, I, at this uh, St. Anne's School in Milltown at the Sisters of Charity. And, you know, we were learning about grammar and structure and how how sentences should be formed. Mm. And it was like, all right, this dude was breaking every rule <laughs> in the book. <laughs> and it was tremendous. And so from there, fast forward to uh, an adult um, my dear friend and colleague Colin McCann, the writer, uh, invited me to uh, uh, to read and to perform at a new Bloomsday event. And this is going back to 2003, I think. And um, so I went along and I said, well, why would you want me to read Molly Bloom? I'm, I'm not Molly Bloom, because I, even I had this idea because I'd seen so many heard so many readings and so many productions and so many people involved and it was just a woman in a bed you know and I and I really felt like you know it was a very much male interpretation Mm -hmm. and so when I read it and I read it I don't see it that way and I don't hear it that way I don't think that's what Joyce was after at all Mm -hmm. um so that was the beginning and um I that's you know 20 years ago and I you know I started um 
uh, adapting uh, the piece for uh, with the encouragement of Callum and uh, at that time and and then I brought my father on board uh, to collaborate with me with regard to music and um, he did some lovely little sweet recordings and, and I wanted to keep the music very simple uh, I didn't want it to be overbearing or overpowering on Joyce's words mm-hmm. um, you know that's beautiful enough just as it is and um, but I do feel I did feel that there would be there was room for something like a very delicate whispers of of her subconscious of what she's searching for mm-hmm. her maternal line of who of herself uh, of the female of herself and uh, and her youth and those are distant memories and um, so he came on board at that time as well and then in 2019. Um, Column came on board to help complete the adaptation for the stage um, and uh, the Irish Rep in New York, the wonderful Irish Repertory Theatre gave us um, our first production. Uh, and since then, we've had uh, three <laughs> productions with them. And um, and then now this will be the fourth, uh, which is uh, produced by Wild Mountain Flower. And um, it's the a production especially for um, for Ireland. Uh, and we always wanted to bring this home to Ireland. So um, uh, here we are, we're on hmm. tour. <laughs> so to, so it started out as an audio piece only, is that correct? Correct, yeah. No, it started off, I, I did the full unabridged text. Right. And um, and I always wondered, what are the seven sentences? I mean, he doesn't use punctuation for Molly Bloom's soliloquy for those who are not familiar with it, with mm-hmm. the Penelope chapter. And um, and I oh and then I was like, but why why bother having seven sentences, <laughs> you mm, know? Yeah. So I I always you know using my imagination, I felt like she was drifting away and drifting back, you know, back into it. And what happens when we drift away, when our minds rest, whether we're asleep or not, uh, or whether we're daydreaming or not? Uh, what happens is the subconscious takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that we, you know, that our lost memories are, are, are the the voices of time, uh, the voices of who we are, of what we don't know, um, you know, creep in and flow through us. So that's when the music came on board, and um, and then uh, my father and I and and Colin, we worked with the music to. Um, you know, it, it's not as much music within the, the actual within the play because it's only uh, 80 minutes long. And I didn't want it again to be overbearing. I wanted it in places. It, it creeps in in places very delicately and is like a dancer or a duet with Molly. Mm. Uh, and without interfering with James Joyce's words or rhythms. Uh, so. Um, I think I think we've done a nice job with us. You know, I, I think my father um, left me uh, and we had more work to do with it, but he certainly left me with an, a wonderful gift. Uh, I go on stage every night and not only do I hear him play on his whistle, his tin whistle, but I hear his inhalations, mm-hmm. which I, I never wanted taken out of the recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted everything to be pure and simple and mm. and um, uh, and real. Yeah. And um, so that's that's how the music came on board with the with uh, the history of how the music came on board. And, and how do you keep 
top of your emotions whenever you hear all of I that? I don't. I don't. The music has been placed and, and recorded and composed and arranged around my voice and around uh, the emotions that are already there. Uh, Molly Bloom, you know, um, is not just a woman who's having uh, sexual fantasies. I don't believe she has any sexual fantasies whatsoever. And I don't think that's what Joyce was was speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe she is celebrating her, her life. And um, and I don't believe that she is a woman in a bed. I believe she is the breath. She is life. She is the symbol of earth, of, of life. The first yes is the first breath that we take when we come into this world. <gasps> yes mm. to life. And the last yes is the one where we're gasping to hold on to life. Uh, and how precious life is. So it's it's a slight. It, this is a very modern um, um, and and I think unique interpretation. Uh, and I think probably I believe closer to what James Joyce was saying was speaking to. And um, so as, to answer your question, the music is is there to as part of of the pain that she is feeling and has felt uh, at the loss of her child, of her son. Uh, I mean, it's a roller coaster ride uh, of of emotions and and memories that she goes through. Um, you know, and within the performance uh, and within within my interpretation uh, and this adaptation, she is living and feeling every single thing she speaks to. They're not just observations or, you know, uh, I'm safe in the present. So therefore, I am going to tell you a story about the past. She 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 transports herself. She journeys back in time to reanimate, seeking to reanimate the love and the purpose that she had with man, with Leopold Bloom. Uh, And in doing so, uh, rediscovers or discovers herself. And um, and to be able to do that, she has to experience everything that she is speaking about or speaking to. So it's 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 an unusual uh, uh, and uh, you know it's a fresh look uh, and uh, at uh, you know Molly Bloom's soliloquy and and I have found that uh, and this is not the first go around uh, for me with this. And um, I'm absolutely delighted and so honoured that the majority of our audiences and, uh, you know, traditionally in in New York and so far here on tour in in Ireland are women, are women who are absolutely blown away by this, Uh, especially women who have no knowledge of James Joyce or who, you know, accept, you know, oh, that's that dirty book. No, not at all. And it's women who are uh, 50 and over all the way up to, you know, normal women, women from all walks of life around Ireland who go, aha, yes, that's right. And I can hear the little Mm. giggles, uh, you know, of acknowledgement and knowledge, you know, uh, it's like, oh, I know what she's talking about. (laughs) And uh, and it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful to hear and to see that. And um, and, you know, people come up to women, come up to me after. It's like, my 
God, I I never knew that, that everyone has to hear and see this. This is this is tremendous. This is not what I thought it was go- what it is and what I thought it was going to be. And and they always ask me, have you changed anything? And I'm like, no, I have not. These are Joyce's words. Um, you know, I've edited it, <laughs> uh, but that's not changing anything. Edited in and, what way? Well, I've had to, sh- you know, I mean, it's three or four hours long otherwise. Mm. Um, so what I've done is um, I, for me, when I look and when I hear the monologue, when I read is the full monologue out loud, um, there are many veins of, of, of storylines that are going through there that he, that are tangled and, and wrapped up in each other and supporting each other. And, and so I, I spent 20 years kind of unearthing that and, and um, a bit like a, if I was to not comparing myself to a surgeon, but like surgical and uh, to, to really get at the artery of the story that's there. Wow. And uh, and so I I have not I have not we Colm or I have not you know we don't use any other words or phrases or or structure other than what James Joyce has. Um, but I've had to you know take out some stuff you know that you know to make it a for an audience to follow along. Mm-hmm. And B, so that they're not asleep after three or four hours. <laughs> I've seen Einstein on the beach. <laughs> I know. And I've also, I, I don't set it in a bed. Mm. Um, this is within, I, I've, I've taken it a step further. This is within somebody's mind. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, she's on our feet and, uh, and moving and within a, it's sort of a, a bit of, you know, a, a very simple abstract world. I use a couple of boxes and a, a little round platform that uh, symbolizes the world that she is on and that she is God or she is life. Mm-hmm. And she is standing on or sitting on or and it's within her mind, within her world. Um and uh, so, you know, we've taken it out of the traditional bedroom, uh, that you know, Dublin bedroom, um, and and taken it into the world, really. I, I could listen to you all day, but what you've said, <laughs> what, what you've said, has triggered so many thoughts. Um, I'm thinking about the Samuel Beckett quote, which was, um, "Tell ten percent of the story, and the audience will write the other ninety. Yes, exactly. And and whenever you said there, why seven sentences? I I was and you said drifting off. My immediate interpretation of that was seven C's. There you go. See. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and then that brought me back to Samuel Beckett's quote again. Of course, there was a there was a connection between Beckett and Joyce because I think Beckett and he used to he befriended uh, Joyce's daughter. And she's I, I, I think he he did. I am I I'm not so sure I'm not so uh, up on on Lucia and her story. I, yeah. I know he befriended her, but I also believe that, you know, he, he saw Joyce as a, as a mentor, as a um, that's right. Someone to look up to, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, we all stand on someone else's shoulders. Of course, yeah. And um, and I think he, he took a lot of of what, you know, Joyce was already doing. Yeah, my, my interpretation of Waiting for Godot is you have every man and you had life and every man has all the rope in the world to hang himself, he even has a tree, but he chooses not to 
because he's waiting for something, something better to come along. And that comes in the form of hope, which is the child. So whenever, Absolutely. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. And whenever you're saying what you said about Molly, her soliloquy is actually life. That struck with me. It's all about like she's waiting for the dawn. She's waiting for the light. Will it? Will she is? I mean, he he doesn't make mistakes. Mm. Just like Beckett. Beckett was influenced by Joyce. The one thing about Beckett we all know is that he didn't. Everything was mathematical. Everything was precise. Yeah. There were no accidents. The same with James Joyce. No accidents whatsoever. Everything was very precise. Mm. Um. You know, what is the, you know, like, for example, um, her birthday uh, is the same birthday as the Blessed Virgin. <laughs> um, so, uh, but Molly is a little bit more earthy, uh, to put it kindly. And uh, and what does earthy, earthiness mean? It means she is Mother Earth. And what is what is life and what is Mother Mother Earth? They are both beautiful and they are both ugly. Life is ugly and life is profoundly beautiful. And so is, uh, and that is what Molly Bloom is. She, re, she is, she, he, she, he, that's a Freudian slip there, <laughs> because I also think there, that she is not all female. And I think, you know, everybody talks about um, uh, Molly Bloom being uh, structured or, or based on his his lovely wife, Nora Barnacle. And I, I believe that is the case. However, uh, being so intimate with this, uh, at the, you know, after many, many years of working on it, mm. uh, I can confidently say that there is a piece of James Joyce in there mm. and that, you know, it, that it is himself. And uh, I, I, you know, they are many of his own thoughts, of his own feelings, mm. you know, and, and, and that's why she, the character of Molly Bloom doesn't shy away from um, the sexual or about what it is to be a woman and to have um, have body body functions. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. to, you know, why would we why would we make it pretty if someone is alone in a room? Why, you know, we don't self-edit, yeah. you know, for an audience. So why should he? And life is ugly and life is beautiful. And being human being is. It reminds me of, I, I used to pop around to uh, Gilbert and George's house in London whenever I was living there. And mm -hmm. it, I, I didn't know much about their works. It was actually a friend of mine introduced me to their work so we went around there together i mean whenever we were going there they they had the it was, it was just graffiti and they were putting graffiti mm -hmm. on their art pieces and it was the worst words you can think of and i was asking mm -hmm. them well, what what do you say to people who think this is disgusting and they said exactly what you're saying we're we're, we're just a mirror for the world mm -hmm. we are reflecting life mm -hmm. if you're saying we're disgusting you're saying life is disgusting and that's it that's it isn't it yeah, <laughs> and and but you know uh, another thing as well is you know there are no uh, accidents you know to get back to that there are no accidents with mm -hmm. Joyce, you know and and uh, everything is very precise. There are two passages, one passage in particular that everybody focuses in on and usually is interpreted 
a certain way that Molly Bloom is actually enjoying this, mm -hmm. these sexual words. And or this the particular passage I'm talking about is not the last passage, but uh, the one just before that, where she talks about pleasing Bloom. Uh, I call it the pleasing Bloom passage. And she's that's exactly what she's doing. She's pleasing Bloom. She's giving man. And I mean, man, I don't mean just male. I mean, people, mm -hmm. human beings, um, pleasure. And as she says at the end of it, I don't think she's getting pleasure from it. This is what I do. It's very matter of fact. I say these words because this is what pleases him. This is what he's saying. This is what she does. Mm -hmm. And when she finishes, she says, you know, she says at the end of that, uh, make him want me. That's the only way. And that is the only way for her to be able to move, to make the dawn come, to have another springtime, to have another child, to procreate and keep this world going mm -hmm. and uh, and keep life going. Because, you know, I'm waning right now mm -hmm. and she's waning. It's set at the darkest time of night. In the middle of the night, it's profoundly lonely. And when life is most fragile and will there be another dawn? Will there be another springtime? And will there be another May? Because all she talks about is the month of May. Mm -hmm. So then she moves on. That is the only way. Then she moves into what really makes, turns her on, so to speak, which is bigger than sexual uh, fantasies or, or earthly, earthly desires. It, 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 she says it herself, nature it is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the sea and the flowers and, ah, uh, yes, this is life, life it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, the sun is shining and the sun will shine. And I am the flower of the mountain. Mm. I'm on the mountain and I'm the flower of the mountain. And I am life. I am God. I am. And it's, so it's a very different. That final yes is very, very different from earthly, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. It is a celebration of yes to life. I am alive and I will fight with every breath in me to come into this world and to stop me from going out of this world. And it, it's 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 a very different take. It's a very different interpretation. And I believe that is what Joyce was saying, uh, not this male interpretation that we have inherited from one generation. And, you know, I was guilty of that myself. Um, of, of, you know, believing that's what it was all about and being quite turned off by it mm -hmm. uh, until I really started listening to myself and reading what Joyce was saying um, and emptying all of that out of my mind. Many years ago, whenever I was studying performing arts, even though I didn't specialize in theater, I, I, sorry, in the acting part, I specialized in the technical part. Uh -huh. uh, I, I did have acting experiences. And one of the teachers said to me one time, whenever you don't understand Shakespeare as an actor, the audience cannot understand Shakespeare. So it, it, it <laughs> <laughs> and you said something earlier, which was, you know, is this really his words? Did you change it, et cetera? It, it strikes me that you really 
understand these words as much as you can because we can never fully, as the, you know, the 90% rule again, you can never fully uh, you know, get his full angle, but you have your own angle on it. And my question around all of this is, have you adapted it from New York to Ireland? And if you have, how have you done this? It's 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 very much evolved. It right now, this the Irish tour, the Irish production is is a lot closer to what I envisioned and what I was after. Uh, and I'm very, very pleased with it, the simplicity of it. Something should never stop evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that it, it's changing, it's just evolving. Um, you know, when I first did it in New York, um, you know, for you know, first of all, you're in a, in, in a, a theater and you have the constraints of the actual physical theater and you have to work with what you're given. You also have a team of people who are involved and they bring their vision of what you are after uh, to the table. And it, it was tremendous because it did start off with, you know, within the adaptation, within the play itself. If I was to show you the script, you would see it's all in there. You know, the idea of it being an abstract world of a nanny everywhere that it's within her mind but uh, and not set in a a bed in Dublin in the early uh, 20th century. It's very much, uh, you know, it's hard to describe. I mean, you're going to go and see it. (laughs) You're coming to see it. And it's very simple. Um, These are her memories and his words, and that's all that matters. Nothing else really matters. Uh, It could be, this could be performed anywhere. And I have performed this in various uh, non-theatrical environments and it works just as well. And uh, so, and and that speaks to the strength of what Joyce was was after. And it speaks to uh, the strength of the adaptation. You know, I, I haven't changed anything that Joyce is saying. Yeah. Not a not a, not a bird. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is there, you know, and uh, but uh, it's how it is said, and it is how uh, it's you know how it looks and how it it, it physicalizes it, itself. Yeah. Um, as I said, you're going to come and see it, so you'll you'll understand a little bit better when what I'm talking. Absolutely, about. and I'm bringing Professor Brian Arkins with me, and he's um. He's doing a speech on Bloomsday about um, the relevancy of Joyce uh, today. So um, Great. Yeah, so I'm going to look forward to having a chat with him um, on Wednesday morning about what he thought mm-hmm. of the production and so on. Okay, that's wonderful. Do you miss a loved one that's passed on? Perhaps you miss their voice or their mannerisms. Perhaps you have questions that remain unanswered. Don't let that happen to your children or grandchildren. At Salt Hill Media, we can record your life story or that of a loved one for future generations. So when someone asks, hey, what was granny like? Or what was granddad like? You can point them to an interview and say, you tell me. We can tailor an interview to be as long or as short as you want it to be. All with professional recording equipment and post-production. You may think that your life is not worth documenting. Well, not according to your children or grandchildren. Record that life story before it's too late. Email salthillmedia at gmail.com or go to salthillmedia.com for more information.
This is the Galway Podcast. I'm looking at the time. You're leaving in 33 minutes, uh, heading for Galway. I am. <laughs> I'm heading to Galway. Yay! I can't wait. <laughs> Going west. <laughs> Why did you choose to come to Galway and what's your connections there? Oh, that's a great question. And I'm really glad you asked this because that's actually the crux of the whole thing of me being in Ireland. Um, you know, it was my father's uh, one of his dying wishes that I I bring, uh, yes, reflections of Molly Bloom home to Ireland, as it as it is my my cohort, my my co-adapter, Colin McCann. And so this tour is in his honour. And this is for him. In addition to that, I approached different theatres in in different areas of Ireland. There's a personal connection and uh, to my father for each each uh, like Galway, for example. Uh, when I was a little girl, uh, we used to go like oh, jeepers, like maybe not every year, but certainly you know every couple of years, every few years, you know, we go on our holidays and holidays back in those days was, was in Ireland, if we were lucky. And, uh, and we were very fortunate and we pack up the little Volkswagen Beetle that my dad had and my brother and I and my mum and, uh, and my dad, of course, and we'd go to Renville, uh, out there in Connemara, Renville house. And, uh, um, it was like oh, paradise, the best holiday I've ever had as children. So, of course, I had to go back to Galway, to Connemara. And so this tour is all about childhood holidays and my family and being with my dad. And they were very, very happy, you know, summer holidays in Ireland. And, you know, I always I know it rained a lot. But <laughs> I always remember the sunshine and, you know, I mean, and and funny enough, I, later this week, I, you know, another example is I'm going to County Louth. Uh, up to Drogheda, Drogheda Art Centre. Mm-hmm. And and the reason the connection there is, you know, on a Sunday in the summer, you know, uh, once, once, once every summer, my dad would take us, you know, on it. We'd go for drives on a Sunday, you know, I mean, that was the done thing in the 70s when I was a child. And uh, so we, you know, if, if we we're lucky enough to have a car. And so we'd go, I would want to go um We'd occasionally go to the, you know, the beaches up on County Louth, but I always wanted to go to Drogheda and um, to see the head of Saint uh, Oliver Plunk. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's such a fascinating thing, isn't it? So that would be like a Sunday drive. Let's go, <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Can we go to see the head of Saint Oliver Plunkett? <laughs> Ah, uh, cheaper. So like that's, you know, so everywhere has a, a very personal connection. Oh, and I know that sounds daft. Oh, it's but, brilliant. That's you brilliant. know, it's it's in his honour. Yeah. And um, yeah, just to mention, so you're in Drahad Arts Centre on June the 1st, mm-hmm. Hawkswell Theatre, Sligo, June the 7th, St. John's yeah. Theatre, Listile, um, June the 9th. Uh, narrative four limerick june the 10th and then you're going to be uh doing a spell in the new theater in dublin from june the 13th through to june the 17th covering bloomsday on june the 16th that's it correct yeah i'm so and of course yeah bringing it home home to dublin as my dad used to say the best city in the world <laughs> i'm sure the Galwegians won't like that too much but i love galway <laughs> Do you know i was reading a, i was reading an article there this um this past while about your father he was talking about you know opening up for the pope and 
your, your brother mentioned at his uh, funeral about the opening up for the budget and then performing 700, tele, 700 million for the Chinese being beamed across the uh, country of China. But he said, yeah. he said the toughest audience, hands down, was his breakfast table. <laughs> <laughs> listen you see my dad was used to being on the road you know so he'd come home to a, like a noisy like there was only uh, two of us but then there was my younger brother came along when I was 10 so it was a very noisy household and he wasn't used to having his meals with you know with noisy children mm. and uh, and we all had an opinion and we all had something to say and we'd be like arguing and fighting and laughing and like mm. every normal childhood house and um, so he used to call he used to call us um, at dinner time like our dinner you know was at five o'clock you know when we were kids and mm. uh, you know because we had our homework in school and all the rest the next day so dinner was at five o'clock so he got into the habit and right up until when he died, he could not eat dinner before eight o'clock because he wanted his dinner later because he couldn't be at the monkey's tea party, as he called oh, us. <laughs> and because he couldn't compete with us. Oh, I love <laughs> and it. God love him. He was great. Oh, what a, oh, he was a gem of a human being. He and was. I, listen. I, he's, been through, he's been in my life, all my life, you know, and... Uh, he kept me going when I was in China, you know, listened to his ah. works and I, and I, and I played it to the Chinese people, you know, because in the, yeah. in, in that album, Chieftains in China, there's some Chinese pieces and they're going, you know, that, that's a Chinese band, you know, cause they play a Chinese piece. Oh yeah. And then, and then I'm pointing out, well, there's a Chinese ensemble playing with him and this is the Chinese ensemble playing. This is the Irish guys playing. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I had, I had this, I was acting like a, like a, like a geography uh, dial. So I was pointing towards China yeah. that I'd written on the board or um, Ireland, you know, Irish musicians on the, on the other side. And um, it, it kind of blew their minds a bit that the Irish people could actually sound so Chinese. And I was explaining about the pentatonic scale and how... The oh, Chin good for you. You know your stuff. <laughs> well... That's what my father heard, you know. I mean, you know, the, people often ask me, or they certainly asked him, but they, you know, they've been asking me since he passed away, you know, why, why, what, what is, what is with all the, the albums that he created, uh, you know, uh, internationally, you know, in, in, in far flung places. And I'm saying, I'm saying, cause he was trying to, he could hear the roots of Irish music yeah, yeah. and he was, it was a voyage of discovery for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he just had a hunger, yeah. hunger to research and to, 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 to discover and to connect and to, and to, and to bring Irish culture, which he, you know, and Irish music, which he, you know, the pioneer that he was, yeah. he saw how rock and roll it was. And he just, he just knew he could hear sounds and he knew that it would work, you know, with the chieftains. He knew the music, the sound he was after and how it would work. And in, and it did work, yeah. you know, I mean, with the likes of Frank Zappa, I mean, uh, and Ziggy Marley. Oh my yeah. God. That, you know, and, uh, you know, Sting and, and the Rolling Stones, yeah. you know, and and my dad used to always say, "Ah, oh, sure, it's rock and roll, baby. It's all rock and roll." <laughs> <laughs>
Here, I've loved this conversation and uh, oh, well, I'm going to look really look forward to seeing this production okay. tomorrow night and uh, maybe maybe I'll come and say hello to you after the show. Please do, please do. I'll be taken down the set. <laughs> You'll know where I am. You probably know this already. Um, Nora Barnacle's house is in Galway and uh, it, yeah. I can't remember the name of the street, but uh, yeah, if you Google it, you'll see it. It's rarely open, but at least you can, you can stand outside and get a, get a feel for the presence. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God bless her. Jesus, I don't know how she put up with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, so I will, um, uh, I'll see you tomorrow and uh, lovely talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. Now. I better, I better scoot on now before yeah. I miss the, the train to Galway. Okay. Don't, <laughs> don't miss that. Cheers, Aideen. Okay. And break a leg tomorrow. Okay. Thanks a million. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been a Solid Hill Media original podcast and production.